The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made, and by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. In which areas of your life are you striving or struggling to break in and find success? Regardless of your ambitions, putting into practice the three universal principles we'll discuss today can generate the turning points that you need to break in. It's these very principles through which my guest, Gary Lennon, came into and continues to grow his success as an award-winning writer, producer, and director. Gary has received multiple awards for his work on television shows such as Orange is the New Black and The Shield and Justified. He's created feature films, and his three produced plays have all sold as films starring award-winning actors. In addition to his current work as an executive producer and writer on Power for Stars, he's writing a pilot for Showtime and recently completed his new play, Change, which will have its world premiere in 2017. Gary, I'm so honored to have you on the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So you've talked about the importance of breaking into breaking through to your real self in order to break in. And I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, for me, you know, I always tell writers that you should really sort of uh, write what you know. I mean, that's, a lot of people say that. And for me, my experience was getting into writing and becoming a writer was I wrote a play uh, called Blackout. And um, it was basically a uh, play that was a series of monologues about uh, blackouts. And uh, it took place in AA. And I, I got sober when I was very young. And that was my experience. And I basically, I took the thing that I was probably most ashamed of, and I put it down on paper. And by doing that, it was a really cathartic experience. And it really, I, I was basically, looking back now, I was really telling everyone my story. And, you know, Thornton Wilder has a great, great quote that says, um, real art is the desire to tell your secret and hide it at the same time. And I didn't, unconsciously, that's what I was doing. I was telling everyone my story, but putting it into other people's mouths. And it was by sort of embracing who I was that um, it sort of transformed my life because that little play that we did at a very small theater um, went on to be optioned for a film and became a film called Drunks with a lot of phenomenal actors in it, like Faye Dunaway and Diane Weist, Richard Lewis, Sam Rockwell, Callista Flockhart, a great cast, Howard Rollins. And um, if I had never re- basically told my secret and put it down on the page, that would have never happened. So I tell writers that they should basically look at themselves and go through the things that you're most ashamed of or your secrets and write about them, write about the things that scare you. And by doing so, 
you can transform your life. Did you write about it with the idea that it was going to become public? You know, um, when I originally started writing it, I actually wrote by hand. And I don't think, I mean, I must have on some level thought that it was going to be public because I started writing it as a monologue for myself because I started out as an actor. And I guess my intention was that I was going to do this monologue. And then the writing itself just took a world of its own. And, um, and when it became public, I was really proud of it. And I got a lot of people who uh, wrote letters to me and saying, I saw myself in these characters or, you know, I'm so glad you wrote about this. And I think that that's a great thing is that when people see themselves in the work so that they can identify with it and they know they're not alone. It's an interesting point about embracing yourself. And this is a very concrete example of what that means, how you actually can do that in practice. Yes, I think that that's a really important thing for me is that I think when I was really young, I was sort of ashamed a little bit about maybe who I was or my background or my character defects, if you will. And it was not until I really sort of owned who I was um, 100% that I was able to really transform, actually, and uh, sort of overcome some of my character defects. And by overcoming them or even embracing them, who I was, gave me a career. You know what I mean? Um, Because I was writing about something that I knew very well. And I, I tell every writer that they should never, like, I also remember starting out in the business and thinking like, oh, wow, man, I didn't go to Yale or I didn't go to Columbia. Um, I might not uh, be embraced. In the theater world, is very small. I might not be embraced. You know, I didn't have that kind of education or those relationships. But it was, in fact, by my embracing who I was. I was a kid from Hell's Kitchen, 10th Avenue, 49th Street, and told that story that people read that honesty and that authenticity uh, on the page and they realized that it was, it was something special because I was the only one who could write that, you know? And I think that most writers, when you love a piece of work, either it being a play or a film um, or TV even, is that only that writer could write that thing. You know, only David Chase could write The Sopranos. You know, only David Simon could write um, The Wire. Um, only O'Neill could write Long Day's Journey, which I just saw on Broadway and still holds up after all these years. It's like if you look at a piece of someone's work that you really admire, even in paintings, only that artist could produce that work. And I think that's because they truly embraced who they were and put themselves wholeheartedly into their work. And I think anybody out there can do it. You don't need a great education. I mean, it's great if you can, and I highly recommend getting a great education if you can. Um, but there's a lot of wonderful self-taught people out there doing all kinds of great work. Um, and so my advice to young writers out there, painters, directors, uh, producers, is to basically embrace who you are, be yourself 100% uncompromisingly, and you will succeed. It's interesting also how you were talking about having some thoughts that it would be great to have more of this formal education And so that, as you've said, this concept of seeing yourself as enough seems to have been an important driving force that you came to that place where when you were able to write about your experiences and also you were able to see that it offered people a chance to express themselves and understand themselves better and relate. Yeah, I think, you know, the idea of, we were talking earlier, just the idea of like being yourself 100% is is interesting, is like knowing that you are enough wherever you are in your life. Like we live a culture where the advertisement, everything that we read or see is telling us basically, you're not enough. You've got to be stronger. You've got to be more fit. You've got to be all those things. And 
as a result, we are a group of people walking around feeling like I'm, I can't possibly compete. I'm not enough. I mean, I mean, how can I like give you more whistles and, you know, everything to make you think that I'm good enough. And I think that my message to all the people out there, regardless of age or whatever, is the idea is that you are enough. If you are yourself, you are enough. And of course, we can always get better at what we do. And education is an amazing thing. By being yourself, it's a lifelong journey of being enough. Trust me, we all, we live in a business in a world where it's fed off of insecurity. And it's a lifelong thing I still struggle with. And on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, hourly, am I enough? Am I competing? Am I being the best I can be? But I do think that at some point, you've got to sit back and you've got to just feel like, listen, I'm here today. I'm showing up. I'm doing the best that I possibly can. I'm enough for today. And if you do that and you do it consistently, you can't help get better at what you're doing, right? And you ultimately will succeed at what you're doing. You know, showing up, doing the work, putting the hours in. And, and, and at some point, like there are days that I do have where I feel like, wow, man, I'm enough. Like today I feel good about myself. I know I put my best foot forward. It may not be for everybody, but I know in my heart that I did my best job today. And if you can walk away with the sense of you've done your best, regardless of people's perception of it, it's a good feeling. You know, it's a feeling of contentment. I think all of us are striving for a a sense of contentment. I know I am. So this experience of being enough and embracing yourself, you illustrated also is locking in to the knowledge and the certainty that there's something that only you can do, that there's no one on the face of the earth can do this one thing that you're able to do. Absolutely, yeah. I, I really believe that, actually. And actually, when I'm uh, talking to younger writers or thinking of uh, writers to hire or something like that or to work with, collaborate with, my thing to them is when, I'm, when they're either in an interview with me or even on the page, I want, I want them to know that they're the only person that could write that script. That gets me excited. If I read a piece of material and I think it's great, it's usually because that writer has shown me something that I haven't seen before. It's their personal experience. It's something that they know about 100%. I read a script you know, once and it was about a tour guide, but I, that person wrote that, you know, knew everything about doing it, being a tour guide. So it educated me and it was funny and it was insightful and it was human. And I loved the character because they wrote that experience, you know? And I feel like it's wonderful to be sort of a native in whatever, whatever field you're working in, that you're a native. You know the work that you're doing, the world that you're writing in. And if you're a tourist, it's going to show on the page and in person. I mean, I feel like when you meet with people and you're in interviews or and interviews are a big part of getting the job, you can often tell when someone's not being 100% um, uh, authentic or truthful or, you know, it just doesn't seem correct or something like that. And I love when I'm in a room with someone and they're 100% themselves. It makes me immediately feel comfortable. And as a result, I like them and I want to work with them and I want to go, I want to know more about them. And even in the writer's room when we're working all together, I think I've had a great week when we work, I work with a group of writers and there's something at the end of the week that I found out new about one of them. They shared a story about them that I had no idea. Um, I feel like that's a successful work week. I'm listening to you and I'm thinking that it's those situations in which we're really holding back. And I suppose that all of us in in ways hold back, sharing or revealing parts of ourselves that sometimes can make someone uneasy because they're feeling as though they don't really have a true picture of you. And maybe 
holding back comes from feeling like I'm not enough. I think you're 100 percent right. I think often that happens in interviews, and actors have that a lot. You know, because all, all of us are trying to please, right? All of us want to please the person, so they hire us and give us a job, so we're going to be our best self. Um, and um, when someone is interviewing with you and they're uncomfortable or, or something like that, you know that, or if it's an actor, there you don't want. When you're hiring people, you're usually hiring people who are really, really comfortable at what they do because you don't have any time to babysit. You don't have any time to handhold. You want people to come in who know what they're doing, do their job, and go home and say thank you. And people who come in and do that, you're going to rehire again and again and again. And if you feel that someone's like, oh, wow, this person's going to be a lot of work, they're going to need a lot of attention, you know, they're going to need to be um, sort of bolstered up just to get the work done, you're going to probably avoid hiring them. You're probably going to avoid wanting to be around them, you know, 16-hour days, you know what I mean? So it's almost like we need to unfold in order to present ourselves to other people, just like you wrote about your sobriety and blackout, and that turned out to be so successful and so well-received. You took these emotions and you used them in such a creative way that was beneficial both for you and other people rather than allowing them to bring you down. Yeah, exactly. Listen, we all have um, sort of trauma in our life. We all have hardship. We all have things that definitely um, have been hard on us. And I do think that if you're able to look at those events in your life and you're able to sort of dig in deep and and, um, do the work on them, uh, that you can have a transformative experience of turning that trauma into something good. I think anger is just an energy. I think grief is an energy. And if you're able to go into it, sort of dig in deep, look at it, deal with what's coming up, and then use that in your work, it's, it's, it's in a weird way, it's selfish. And I do it in my work often. Is it, but you have to be selfish because you, 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 know, you go in and you look at that, that event, that trauma in your life, and you really sort of tease it apart. And then at the end of the day, in a weird way, it just helps you heal. You know, I, that's my experience of, of looking into my uh, past. Delving into it, swimming in it a little bit. Absolutely. As opposed to just leaving it alone because it's still a part of you. And the idea is to integrate your experiences so that you can actually create through them. Yeah, absolutely. I love the story that you tell about the play that you wrote called 45. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, I wrote this play 45 and... It was got a really uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, harsh response. A lot of people felt it was too dark, too gritty, too raw. And we did a reading of it uh, for a gr- group of people. And it was, it was really interesting because I didn't really know what I wrote when I wrote it originally. It, I just, it just came out of me. It just literally sort of came through me. So anyway, we did this big reading. And there were a number of really great, important people there. And and uh, when I say important, I respected them and, uh, you know, and their artistry. But at the end of it, one of them was like, oh, my God, I hate this play. It's horrible and it's dirty and it's ugly and blah, blah, blah. And this other person who I really highly respected uh, said, oh, you didn't get the play at all. It's really incredible. I mean, that opening scene tells you everything you need to know. I know it's graphic and it's gritty, but that opening scene tells you everything you need to know about these people. Um, this play is about people who have no boundaries. That's why it's so graphic like that. Right, Gary? And at the time, honestly, I had no idea. (laughs) I had no idea what, and I just was like, yeah, you know what I mean? Meaning that, um, it was illuminated me like, yeah, I am writing about people who have no boundaries. Um, but it's a great experience of having a piece of work out there, putting it out there. It's none of your business what people think about it. 
Honestly, it's about creating the work. And then that was a great example of one person who did not get it, did not like it, had a strong reaction against it. And then somebody else who is really, it was a Pulitzer winner, said, I love this play. It, it meant everything to me because at the time I was not making money as a writer. And that person saying that made me realize that maybe I did have something. Maybe I should continue with this even when all odds were against me. So this recognition that the other person had, the ability to positively frame the magic that you were accomplishing was a transformative experience. Sometimes you do need someone else to be able to name what it is that you're able to do. Absolutely. That was actually, I'll say it was Lanford Wilson who wrote like Burn This and, and you know other great plays, Fourth of July, Tally's Folly. Um, yeah, you, you know, when you're young and you're emerging or even if you're older and you're just starting writing, whatever it is, you do need people who uh, sort of guide you along the road and say, yeah, you know, you are, do have something or you know what, this isn't really working, but you're on to something. Keep at it. Um, I believe that all of us are in this together and we have to help each other. And th- those people who did that for me uh, when I was young and just starting out meant everything to me because without their uh, guidance, I probably would have stopped. If, he, if I never got him saying, listen, you have something, it's really great, don't back away from that, um, I might have stopped. Gary, do you think that this is a theme in your writing, in your work, no boundaries? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, ooh, I think a lot of my characters struggle with boundaries. Yes, I do. I think another theme in my work is finding home or people looking to surrender and find home to find love. But boundaries is, I think a lot of my characters have boundary issues, and that's probably because I have boundary issues. <laughs> and it's really true. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it is a running theme in my work, yeah. So I love this point. We're going to transition to a commercial, but if we can carry this with us, that essentially you're capturing the magic of you and what it is that you create. And when you get a chance to have reflected back to you what people see in it, it really helps you to enhance your sense of self, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to take two for a quick commercial. When we come back, Gary will talk about a second principle that characterizes his success. Stay with us to hear more. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, 
Now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined by award-winning writer, producer, and director Gary Lennon. Gary shared one principle that's central to his success, and that is to have an experience of being enough, to draw your emotions into creative endeavors that enable you to both claim and positively frame the value that you bring. We're going to discuss the second principle, being authentic. Gary, you've spoken with me about a few strategies related to authenticity, including go where the love is and find like-mindedness. Yeah, I mean, uh, my advice, again, just to people out there who are starting in their career and work is the, my, my idea of like, go where the love is, is a motto in my life, you know, professionally, romantically, platonically with friendships, is the idea that when you go out with a piece of work, um, you know, again, it's none of your business what people think of it, like you go out, you send it out into the world. And you have to, you'll get many rejections and it takes one person to actually validate the material and then give it, help you, help you get it going and and give it a life. And so my advice to someone, I think often people, when they go out with a piece of material, they stop short when they get the first rejection or they get four rejections or they get five rejections. You know, there's a famous story, obviously, that Harry Potter, the book was rejected by everyone and then it was picked up by one person and obviously Harry Potter is a sensation. Um, the, I agree with that. Is The idea is you go where the love is in the sense of like when you go out with a piece of material and you're working on something and you give it to someone and if they pass, I always say thank you and I move on very quickly because I tr- I, it's literally about the idea of shifting your perception in your head away from the current negative, which is the no, and then literally shift your perception to the right. There's another opportunity, another door there, another person to expose your material to who actually may be receptive and really get it. Because you can give a great piece of material to someone and they just not get it at all. And I shared with you I, earlier, actually, we were talking and you know, I went out with a piece of material recently, a script, and I had great expectations, you know, from everyone it was going to, um, and expectations are dangerous. Um, but it was really interesting because one person, again, it was sort of what I was talking about earlier when I said this one person didn't like that play. The same exact thing happened, which is someone was like, you know, it's not for me. I don't get it. And then immediately, bam, another person was like, I love this. How can I help you get this going? And that's where you go where the love is. You know, if you see an inkling of light in a direction when you're in pursuit of something, if you see an inkling uh, of light, move towards it because that's where you will find the love that will help you get your work done and performed or published or whatever that may be. And the other part of that is the idea to, you know, when we are just starting out in our careers is to literally look for like-minded people. So look for people who are in the same pursuit as you who have the same aesthetic, you know, 
when I was young, uh, started as a playwright in New York, I went and saw everything. So, you, you know, basically you're building, you know, you're a taste person. You, have, you build your taste, your aesthetic. And you start going like, oh, my God, I love Lanford Wilson plays, you know, or you know who you don't really uh, gravitate towards. And then you'll see the same people doing that as well. And you, you sort of like build a tribe. I, I use that reference often is you, you will wind up seeing that you are seeing the same people at the same places and they're in pursuit of the same kind of work that you are and you have these great marriages of of aesthetics. You know, you'll have a director who really gets what you're doing and you go, oh my God, I want to work with that director again. He so gets what I'm doing. Or you get an actor who... Just when they read your words, it's like it's, it's as if you didn't write them, that they just have the same musicality, the same rhythms, the way that you speak. Um, I've been really lucky and really fortunate to work with writers, I mean, actors who I feel like, man, they really get what I'm doing. You know, there's a writer I'm currently, I mean, an actor I currently work with on um, Power named Joseph Sakura. And, you know, when I see him do one of the scenes that I've written, it's as if I didn't write it. It's just, bam, it's so natural. And I'm like, I even forget. I'm like, did I write that line? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have that with another actor named Severio Guerra. He did a play of mine called The Family Thing. And um, when I went to the theater every night to see him do the play, I always felt um, calm because I knew that I entrusted my play to this guy because he was going to get on stage and he was going to do the scene exactly how I heard it in my head or even better. Um, And so you start building a tribe and I certainly think of Severio as part of my tribe and I think of uh, Joe as part of my tribe. There's a young actress who I really uh, love. Her name is Diara Kilpatrick and uh, she did my play The Interlopers and I'll remember when I met her and she auditioned for me that she auditioned doing the scene. And when she was done, I, I stopped her and said, thank you so much because you just actually educated me about my own material. I had no idea that my character had so much hope in her. Um, and she's somebody who I'll always return to because again, she really gets my kind of work. And so you build a group of people that you start working with again and again, and you build a shorthand. And um, the woman that, that's created power I also feel that way about she has um, a real distinctive voice of the show. And when I saw the show, I was like, oh, I could be a part of that. Like, I, I know that world. I feel I feel comfortable writing those characters. So the idea of uh, finding your tribe uh, and go where the love is, because, you know, in life, it's just too short to be in a situation where you're struggling and you're hitting your head against the door. You know, they say you can't buy oranges at a hardware store. You know, you spoke earlier about if you're going trout fishing, you better go fishing at a place where there's trout. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's what I try to do in my life. So I was hearing a couple of really wonderful points in what you were saying. One is that it seems as though you're not casting your net in one place. You're not aiming for one person because that's such a tiny percentage, really, of what the global population is going to experience. So you're going to different people and you may be getting a no at the same time that you're getting a yes, but it gives you a chance to have a broader perspective about the receptivity and the relatability of what it is that you're doing. Absolutely. I mean, I think when you set out to write something, a lot of writers, and as if you're a playwright, you think, oh, this play is right for Playwrights Horizons. This playwright, this play is right for Manhattan Theater Club. And yet you fixated like, my play has to be done there. I certainly was like that as well. And then I realized that my taste and their taste was different. And, and, and um, you, just, like you just said, spread out the net, like, you know, uh, cast it wider. 
Um, and then people will contact you who respond and then pay attention to who those people are. I also love what you said about being self-directed by noticing what you're drawn to and going to the places and spending time with the people that you're drawn to because you wind up then seeing that those are the places that can bear fruit. Absolutely. That's where your fertile soil is. And that these, pe- these are the people who can help to magnify your own understanding of the talents that you bring. Absolutely. Again, when I was uh, just starting as a playwright, I was lucky enough in the very last year of Circle Rep to be invited into the Circle Rep Lab. And that is sort of, I was like, oh, that's where my, that's where I can be nurtured, you know? I think it's very important. I mean, we're all starving for nourishment, you know? Um, And I think as a a young artist, young creator, you are starving for direction, for nourishment, for uh, people who see what you want to do and want to help you elevate your game. Um, And so it's very important to take notice of where the work is that you love and then to go there and to be a part of it, start at the very beginning and, and to listen, to be really open and receptive because all art is collaborative. And I think when you get around a group of people who are excellent at what they do, they challenge you. Uh, they make you think, um, and you know, rewrite, you know, writing is rewriting. And the idea that you know, be open to it. Don't be locked off. Like this is perfect. Nothing is really perfect. I mean, someone can always help you make something better. As I mentioned a little earlier, that girl Diara Kilpatrick, the actress, she made my play better by being in it, by asking me the right questions. She, um, an actor, can really help you understand the material and also inspire writing new scenes as you're working on it because a play is never done until it's up on its feet and you know even when you're in previews you're tweaking or changing and um jim fall who directed the movie trick and he directed lizzie mcguire he directed my play the interlopers in los angeles and in preview not in previews before previews in like the tech i realized that two of the scenes didn't work and I thought they did, by the way, and I loved them. And there were great lines in them that I liked and all that stuff. But in the rehearsals, I, we both realized that those scenes, scenes weren't working and we cut them. And it was the right decision. Uh, and that is being open and receptive to the people that are around you that are working with you. Also, I think you have to start tr- – You, I mean, if you don't trust the people you're working with, you're going to be in a really bad situation. You've got to build a trust with someone and, and, and then lean into that trust. So it seems as though an important part of your success also is this creative choreography that you're doing where you're bringing in people who are helping to make what you do better. The collaborative part of it, right? That the idea of, make, of being independent in, in cultivating ourselves is not really something that's useful because your work needs to be relatable and accessible to people. Yeah, you know, um, that's very true. Um, the people that I work with usually will always give me notes and I listen to them and they'll, you know, so, you know, and, and then I'll make adjustments, you know. But the other thing you said earlier, which is the idea that, you know, sort of go where the love is or find your tribe, the idea is that when you get in that environment, it's a very safe environment, so it's a fail free zone. And so you're not uh, afraid to feel fo- appear foolish or not knowing. Like, I have no problems if you ask me a question and I'm working with you and I don't have the answer. I say, I don't know. There's no shame in that. 
You know what I mean? Uh, again, that's about going back to being who you really are and being authentic. You don't have to know everything. How boring, right? I mean, there's no, all the answers lie in the unknown. And so when you're working with people, um, they'll ask you stuff. And if I don't have the answer, I, I, I'm not embarrassed or say, oh, I'm, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. Like, what do you think? You know, and you figure it out together. That's an excellent point. Just about what can morph from those kinds of conversations and from exploring what you don't know. Mm-hmm. That that's your next really growth experience is delving into the pieces that come up that you don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I'm writing a play, I don't write with an outline. Usually when I'm working in TV, we work with outlines uh, often, most of the time. Um, but when I'm writing a play, I don't work from an outline and I like being in the unknown. I like being at a table and I, I still handwrite my plays. I love the idea that I don't know where I'm going and these characters come to me and I start saying, oh, this is what that person's uh, trying to convey. And, and when you're working on something that's all, you know, um, it's consuming, you start dreaming about the characters. They start coming to you in the morning when you start, you start seeing answers in literally cab rides with people. You'll, the cab driver will say something. You'll be like, ah, that's the answer. Um, so, yeah, I don't mind being in the unknown. I was mentioned to you earlier. I like the idea that, you know, I told you I heard that they're teaching courses in college about wandering. I think we're such a, a culture of achievement or achieving, you know, get this done, become that, I'm this, I'm that, that we don't do enough wandering, you know, and see where that, that uh, sort of takes you. And the luxury for me as a playwright um, is that I can get to do that, you know, um, is to literally just, you know, wander and not exactly know where I'm going. And then I'll, sometimes I'll write a scene that happens much later in the play and then bridge and I'll have an earlier scene, but then I realize how do I get from here to there? And then, and the working with the material, those answers reveal themselves to you. It's, it's trusting yourself is very important, uh, a very important thing. So tied into this whole idea of the unknown and wandering, you said something earlier in our conversation before the show that I thought was really interesting about periodically asking yourself these questions about what my purpose is. Yeah. Um, and you keep coming back to that question in yeah, your life. Um, that, that's been actually a big theme for me. Yeah. Who are you and why are you here and what are you doing with your time here? What's your purpose in life? You know, that's really important to me. And that is, uh, I asked that question when I was writing The Interlopers, you know, who am I? And the theme of The Interlopers is identity, even though it's about uh, pre-op transgender. Um, teen, uh, two of them. But I was writing it because I was asking myself, who am I right now in this moment of time? What are, and why am I here? And what am I, what was my purpose in life? And, um, you know, that, that gave me, that question gave me that play. And I believe that I asked my question, I asked myself that question all the time. Um, and it's a great thing to do because you have to reevaluate where you are, what you're doing and what you want to be doing. And if you are, if you wake up, isn't it Steve Jobs said the thing where if you wake up every day and you hate what you're doing, you better change what you're doing. Um, and I think it's very healthy to do some self-examination and ask yourself, who am I? What am I here? I actually love asking writers, what do you want to say? Sometimes you don't know, by the way, like I said, my earliest play, 45, turns out that that play was about people with boundaries issues, you know, the, the couple that didn't have boundaries. Um, and sometimes you don't know the answer. And it's only by doing or writing or painting or making films that you find the answer out. So as opposed to experiencing not knowing your purpose right, at different stages of life, 
we, as we're evolving, we kind of then lose the grip of, of purpose. And that's just a natural experience, it seems you're saying, that it's something to embrace. It's part of embracing yourself. Wow, okay, I'm in this place now where I need to redefine purpose again for myself, and that's part of the creative experience of growing in life. I think so. I think that you know, being lost is part of the process as well. And the idea is that if you don't know, um, you don't know. Um, but if you ask the question and you ask it again and again, something in, in your journey, in your wander, in your, in your, your uh, musings, you'll find the answer. It'll come to you. So um, a part of actually knowing what you are and why you're here and all that, part of that, part of the answer is not knowing. And we talked about it earlier is the idea sometimes, you know, you'll show up and I actually have meditate on, you know, what it is that you want me to do, reveal it to me and I will do it. So I'm open. Just show me what it is that you want me to do. And sometimes that answer doesn't come very quickly and sometimes it does. So we'll leave this with this key point of asking the question. About purpose. Yes. What's my purpose right now? And you'll you'll get the answer. We're going to go to a brief commercial. When we return, Gary will offer a third principle that will guide you in realizing your ambitions. Stay with us. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi speaking with award-winning writer, producer, and director Gary Lennon. Gary talked about the importance of authenticity in living a purposeful and successful life. 
In practice, this involves creating community by finding like-minded people who are able to see and appreciate what you offer. Rather than narrowly focusing on one door, leave yourself open to surprises so you can go where the love is, as Gary says. This segment will focus on a third principle, sharing the pie. And Gary, I know that you've said that if you feel you're enough, you're not afraid to share. Yeah, I feel uh, really strongly about that because I, when I was uh, starting out, I was, I mean, nobody gets wherever you are alone. You know, some people help you get there, all of them, all the time, actually. And when I was um, starting out, I was fortunate enough to have a number of people extend their hand to me. Um, and I think it's really important. And I think it's great that those people clearly felt that they were enough, that they weren't afraid to share the pie. They reached back, they saw where I was, and they pulled me forward. I would have never come forward without the help and the generosity of other artists. And when I was a young uh, writer, um, a great example of that was I did a a very small play uh, called Rated X that I wrote, and um, Alice Arlen came to see it, and her daughter was actually in the play. And Alice... um, recently died. She was a writer, a screenwriter and a journalist, and she wrote the movie Silkwood with Nora Ephron. And um, Alice came to see the play. And at the end of the play, she came over to me and she said, "Uh, you're very talented. That's very moving. And I said, oh, thank you. Um, And she said, if I can help you in any way, uh, let me know. And she asked me if I had an agent. And I said, no, I did not. And she said, well, you can use my name wherever you want. Um, and I thought, wow, you know, like literally I did not know this lady and she was being incredibly generous to me. Um, and she had no agenda, you know. Uh, she was literally being of service. She was helping me. She clearly was not afraid to share the pie. And as a result, um, she came to another play of mine that I wrote, the play called Blackout. Um, and she brought a very big agent with her, Sam Cohn, um, who represented Woody Allen, Meryl Streep, ma- many major people. And um, within like a couple of weeks, I had sold the rights to my play Blackout to become the film Drunks. And that's a great example of someone... Um, seeing something in somebody, somebody and extending themselves and being of service and lending a helping hand because I needed one, trust me. Um, and that's a great example of giving back. And I feel very strongly myself uh, in doing that today to other young writers and, and to other people, uh, you know, directors, everything like that. Um, and I really do come from a place that whatever it is that you do, like we talked about this earlier about being authentic or you're being having the DNA, is the idea that is just do what you do. You know what you you're more than enough. You you know and and so and so who's doing that invite him to the table because you two have two completely different um, uh, work uh, sets. You know what I mean? You're not in competition. You're really honestly not in competition with anybody. When I'm going up for a job. I, if I if I'm in the room, I always I often have t- said, "Oh, if you don't hire me, you should hire so and so." And my agent once called me and said, "What are you doing, getting other people mm-hmm. jobs?" I don't come from a place of um, anymore. I don't. I should say I don't come from a place of lack. I feel like I am enough, and if I'm supposed to be working with you and you get me, I'll be working with you, and I'll be very grateful for it, and I'll be of service to you, and I will make you whatever I'm doing for you. I will give you a thousand percent. I'm a hard worker. I have a really blue collar work ethic, but I, I think that I encourage other people out there, filmmakers, painters, writers, directors, producers, look back, give a hand, pull someone else up who's not as fortunate as you, um, and uh, know that there is enough for everybody. And I tell the people who are at the, not at the table yet, 
that also don't be afraid to ask. You know, I was ignorant when I was young and I did ask people for help. I didn't know that that was like a shameful thing. My hand should be slapped or I didn't know that my needs were so great that, you know, they might intimidate someone. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, go out there, ask. I believe that, you know, the world conspires to help you. And if you keep asking um, one person, you're going to find the person who feels like they're enough and they're going to be more than willing to share. It seems that the same side, of the, it's the flip side of the same coin, asking and sharing the pie. Because it all comes also from integrating the experience of feeling like you're enough. Yeah. Right? That you feel confident enough to ask and you ask because you also like to give. Absolutely. No, I, I, I currently still um, <laughs> doing what I'm doing. I don't feel uncomfortable asking uh, for something now because um, I also feel like when you ask somebody for something, a producer, you know, a financier, whoever it may be, an actor or a friend who knows somebody that likes somebody to be in my play or my blah, 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 I feel that I always, my feeling is that, you know, thank you if it's yes and thank you if it's no. I don't have, I'm not going to hold hard feelings. If I ask you, hey, Hamza, can you help me with blank? And you go, actually, you know, I feel uncomfortable with that. Like you have a boundary. And, um, and you say to me, no, I don't think I can help you with that. I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. And I look literally, this again, shift your perception to the right. There's someone else who's going to have a, a, a helping hand. Um, so I feel like that takes the edge off. If you ask somebody for something and you give them the out of, look, I, if you're not comfortable with that, there's no, no issue, there's no problem, no strings attached. Just if you can, that would be great. But if you can't, no problem. That also takes the edge off. You know what I mean? But you have to really mean it. Like it would be terrible if you ask somebody for something and they say no and then you have a resentment towards them because they didn't help you. It, that happens, by the way, but you work on your resentment and you get through it. Um, but I, I, you know, give and take. It's, it's such a critical point that you're bringing up now as opposed to, okay, we're going to run with the idea of asking. You're saying, wait a minute. Make sure that when you ask, it's not a loaded ask. Because people also feel that, and sometimes they'll want to run away if Absolutely. they feel that it's loaded. Whereas otherwise, they would help you if it's a lighter ask, I where agree. You, you help them to feel at ease, that you don't have expectations around it. Mm-hmm. And if it could work out great, and at the same time, you have the confidence that if it won't work out with that source, mm-hmm. just as you said, for giving away the jobs, yeah. so to speak, that it'll, it'll work out in another direction and you're testing the waters. That's exactly right. You're testing the waters. Uh, and it's happened to me uh, even recently, you know, ask somebody, would you feel comfortable doing this, giving this piece of material to so-and-so? And they're like, you know, I don't really know them that well. And I'm like, okay, great, no problem. And then I just look to the right, you know, or to the left and there's somebody else who's like, oh, you know what? I know them really well. Let me give them to them. Boom. Done. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the idea of that, you know, no one really wants to disappoint you. And so saying no is hard too. Um, and also, by the way, I have been asked, you know, would you give this to so-and-so? Uh, we, uh, great, this is actually a really good example because I don't want to sound like I'm helping everyone, you know, out and blah, blah, blah. You have to believe in the material, obviously, in order to pass it on. You have to believe in the talent in order to, you know, recommend it for a job, person for a job. Uh, recently, I was asked from, by a friend uh, who wrote a script um, if I would give it to somebody they wanted me to get it to that I knew. And I read the script and I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. And I, I didn't think, I didn't think it was very good. And it was a really hard conversation to have with someone. Um, but I know he, he asked me 
in the spirit of he was going to, you know, allow me to either say yes or no. And I called him and it was a hard, it was a difficult conversation because you don't want to disappoint someone, especially a friend. And I told him my truth. Again, be authentic, be yourself, be real. And I said to him, you know, I read it. I didn't get it. it I, I, I don't think this is, I, and, I, and I told him why uh, I didn't get it. Um, you know, why it didn't resonate with me. And, and he was, again, an incredible, he was actually really gracious about it and said, I completely understand. It's not for you. And I thought he took that really well. Now, I, I just want to also say that he, once in the past, he had asked me to pass something on to someone else that I really liked. And I, bam, I made that call right away, that call right away. So um, we have that kind of relationship. And um, I, I don't feel my saying no damaged our friendship at all. I think this story is a great illustration of the three principles that you're talking about, being enough, authenticity, and sharing the pie, because it took time and effort and energy for you to have that honest conversation. And that is a gift in and of itself, to be able to give someone that feedback so that they don't feel like they're in suspension. And they know that there are times where it might feel appropriate to say yes, and times where it's not, and that, that helps them. I think it's great that you brought them all three together like that, because I do agree with you. And I, I'll give another illustration of where, um, and it's where it really is all about you, and it's about you uh, being full. And, uh, uh, because years ago, another buddy of mine shot a short film and gave it to me, and it wasn't good. Like, it really wasn't good. And as a friend who cared about him and his success, I said to him, um, this doesn't work. I know that you put a lot into it and, and you know, it's your heart. And, you know, you, it's, you, I know that you uh, love this. I'm telling you as a friend, trying to protect you, don't show this to other professionals because they're going to judge you harshly. Um, and he did not take it well. You know what I mean? He thought I was being um, really highly judgmental of material. Now, I wish I loved it because I, I would have sent it to people, but I didn't. And I told him the truth. And uh, he didn't take it well, but I think that's a great example of, of two people having an agenda and having an expectation. Like he just, my other friend wanted me to just blindly pass this short film on because he made it wrong. This other friend gave me a piece of material and gave me the opportunity to tell my truth, which is I didn't respond to it. And he was gracious about it and said, I get it. It's not for you, period. And moved on. Um, and as I mentioned, that same person I had previously, he knows that if I did like it, I would go out of my way for him. You really need to combine these principles, right? So if someone's listening today and they're saying, well, I'm cultivating this place of being enough, you have to combine it with the authenticity. You have to combine it with sharing the pie. Everything works in concert because as you're saying, if you come from a place where you feel like you're enough, then you'll know that getting a no is a yes in that it helps to inform your direction. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, that's great. It's the idea that know that, you know, I don't, anybody out there who's just starting in the career, who's submitting material out there, or trying to get a relationship with the, another professional, know that if you get a no, um, you know, there's a great uh, ter- uh, thing that said that, you know, um, someone's rejection is God's protection. So if you get rejection, know that, you know, um, that wasn't for that person. And it's actually putting you closer to the course that you're supposed to be on because that yes is coming. It's just not from that person. So you're not supposed to be working with that person. So you have that element of authenticity, really, right? That you're, you're demonstrating 
as a friend giving this kind of advice. So your friend had a good impulse to come to you. It's just sometimes, I guess, the readiness is not there, right? So if we're experiencing that, then we need to kind of check in with ourselves and say, okay, how can we cultivate this place of feeling like we are enough? And then take this advice, put it into practice, and maybe come back and talk to you again. Absolutely. I mean, the idea, again, is when you get any rejection or you get a negative response, the idea is that that's not where you're supposed to be. It's literally the universe saying, not this guy, not this door, next door. And the idea is you want to go where you're celebrated and not where you're tolerated. And so the idea is find out where you're celebrated. And it may take many different doors to walk through until you find that room. It did for me. So um, one of the biggest gifts I can give to you as a young artist out there, if you're just starting out, is the, the idea of resiliency. You need to be resilient and you need to be passionate and you need to... Uh, love your work and be a defender of your work and do anything to get it done. And it seems also just tying sharing the pie with finding your tribe. It seems as though the idea is to position yourself really to be successful. When you find your tribe and you can relate to and support and take an interest in what other people are doing, then it's easier for you to share the pie, right? Because you have many opportunities where you want to, you say, this is great. I want to support it. And then vice versa, you're positioning yourself to get the support that you need when you have people who can relate to what you do. Absolutely. Well, thank you for these beautiful illustrations and for exemplifying on this show these three principles that have worked so well in your life. Thank you. It's nice being here. We're going to get more of Gary, actually, if you'd like. There are many opportunities to have more of Gary, and one of them is to tune into Power's third season which will be airing on Stars this July. Google Gary Lennon if you're interested in reading Gary's published plays, Blackout, Dates and Nuts, and The Interlopers. If you have questions or comments about today's episode, I welcome you to email me at hosthemda at gmail.com and to stay connected by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 